0: May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Susan. I invite you uh, to turn with me to 1 Peter this morning. Um, it's been great to have our pastoral staff leading us in God's word over the last several weeks. Um, told Kent it's going to feel a little weird to, to get to preach again here. And uh, I'm a little rusty, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, this morning, we're going to launch into a brand new series. Uh, called different from the book of 1 Peter. And so as we begin, uh, I want to state and put this out here before us, is that uh, there are two themes that continue to emerge over and over in this uh, letter from from Peter. And the first is this, is this, that the only hope that we truly have is in Christ. Secondly, is that, and is very much related to that hope, is that we are called to be different from the world. To be set apart. Or as uh, Jesus and, and many others in Scripture said, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so as we look in this letter, uh, I want to give a little bit of context Peter yes the apostle Peter as he claims right from the start now good understanding of the apostle this title is it's, its in the new testament is is an understanding that this is a person who experienced the resurrected Christ and received a commission directly from Christ not just from the the people that that were Christians at the time, but from Christ himself. And and so this title of of apostle in the New Testament understands that, but overall it has this understanding and uh, definition bearing into it of someone who is called, someone who is commissioned, someone who is sent with a message. And so the apostle Peter is now writing to a group of very hurting often discouraged, tormented Christians in what we would know as Asia Minor. This is a time frame of 60 to 65 A.D. And so in our, uh, it, in, it's a time where the reign of the evil and corrupt Roman Emperor Nero is uh, exercising his will on the world. Now, if you don't know much about Nero, let me give you a brief understanding of who Nero is. Uh, Best way to describe it is this guy killed his mother, then he killed his first wife, and likely he killed his second wife. He was so twisted that history believes, and there's a good understanding, that he burned Rome down to the ground... Because he wanted to build, he had this insatiable desire to build, and the Senate said no. So, well, if you're going to say no, I'll just burn it to the ground, and that gives me the ability to do it anyway. And that's who Nero is, and so it didn't go very well, evidently, uh, burning your main city down, and the people start to rebel. They realize it's Nero that has done this, and so... He gets they start blaming him, and well, let's counter the the blame on me onto somebody else. So he picks a already uh, tortured group, blamed group for a lot, persecuted group known as Christians, a very passionate group. That's who he is writing to. People that are taking on the blame. For Nero's desire, he, he, was, he was cruel beyond cruel. There's, there's evidence that you know, not only was he part of the Colosseums and dragging Christians into the Colosseums and putting hides on them and then animal hides and sending uh, tigers and lions and those after those Christians, but he's also known for decorating his garden with Christians hanging from a tree Lit on fire. This is Nero. Not a pleasant picture. And so Peter writes to Christians. And really this message this morning is uh, for, for two different groups. For those of you who are hurting, Peter says. And, and for us who are hurting, who have questions that are unanswered. Who are going through something difficult. And the second group is for people who will one day, go through trials as well. So basically it's for all of us, because we all go through these times. And in First Peter chapter one, verse one, it starts this way: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Now, it's good for us to understand as we see this, that, that uh, he, he, this word for strangers that we have translated here can often be translated as, uh, as well as exiles, sojourners, aliens, and foreigners. In other words, Peter's informing and reminding all of his readers, and this is a letter that's not just meant for a specific people, but for everybody to be shared. It's it's meant to be read over and over and over, that he's reminding and informing us, this is not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a stranger to this world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a sojourner, you're just passing through. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're an alien in that this is not your final dwelling place. You're a heavenly creature serving a heavenly God, passing through a temporary world into an eternal world, dwelling place where you will be worshiping God at all times. Recognizing God for who He is. So, this world is not your home, so therefore, you should be different from this world. We should be distinctive. As followers of Christ, we should have a different value, informed by different morals that are directed by a different belief system than the world around us. And the reality of how, what that looks like and how that faith. Uh, grows and, and impacts our life is that you will be a different mom than the ones around you. You will be a different dad than the ones that this world is represented by. You'll be different as a husband. You'll be different as a wife. You'll be different as a child. You'll be different in a way that you raise your children, in the way you relate to others, and especially even those who mistreat you. You'll be different in the way you invest your time and invest your money. Why? Because this world is not your home. And we're called to be different. And today, Peter reminds us that even in the midst of trials, you can have a different kind of faith as you go through difficult times. In 1 Peter 1.6, he reminds those that are hurting that their salvation comes through Christ. And he says, in this, referring to the salvation, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have to, su- have su- to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Did you get that? Rejoice. Why? not because you're being hunted down, not because you're going through difficult times, not because of anything that's going on around you, but because there is a wonderful joy ahead of you that is still to be lived out because we know where real hope comes from. So His instructions to these people are rejoice, rejoice, and know that even in the midst of these trials, they can have a purpose. In, in fact, in verse 7, he says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Another word for that is authentic. I, I don't know how better to state that. It's, it's, it is what it is you say it is. It's true, and it is evidence to be true. But think about this, if there is a genuine faith that also assumes that there are false faith. Please listen to my heart here. Sometimes, especially when we live in a blessed country like we do, it can be very easy to call ourselves a Christian. So in, in easy, in fact, that I believe that many people do call themselves Christians. And I'm not trying to be judgment, and I'm not saying yes or no to anybody, but at the same time, it's my great fear that there are many who believe that they are Christians, but deep down, it's not really genuine. The reason I say that is because there's evidence of, very real evidence of three types of false faith the first one which i'd call an inherited faith it goes something like this well my mom was a methodist my dad was a baptist and we went to this church sometimes and you know at least on christmas and easter and a few times here and there and and i remember going to vbs when i was a little kid because we did these these crafts and we ate juice you know watered down tang and and we had cookies and and so I'm a Christian because I know that I'm not a Buddhist and I know I'm not a Muslim and, and so I must be a Christian and I'll identify myself as such. That's what I mean by an inherited faith. It's not really yours. It's not your faith. It's not a genuine faith because you haven't truly owned it. You haven't owned The decision, process of accepting Christ in in every real way because to accept Christ means that things have to change from what is normal in this world. We have to make a decision to own it, to nurture it, to care for it, to grow it, and ultimately to live it. Second type of false faith is what I would call a shallow faith. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 13, as Susan read. Said a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and some of the seeds took root, and a little plant sprung up, but the roots didn't grow deep. And so when The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the love for other things of this world came along. It choked out the little plant. And it died. Why? Because the roots never fully developed. They weren't deep enough. Because if we don't purposely plant and water our spiritual roots deeply enough, if they're just surface level, what happens is is when things get hectic, when when we find a little keeping you know tension and 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 it, there's not a whole lot holding us there, and pu- things pull us away. You know, at some point we find that we, you know, in the midst of all this stuff, and we wonder what happened because we find ourselves with little spiritual power. And little spiritual victory in our life because we never kept the roots, and watered them, and planted them deeply. We just let them be surface level. I, I would equate this with a uh, understanding of consumption Christianity. It's just something we do. It's the new thing. It's there, but not deep, not settled not rooted. And we'll, at some point we'll turn around and wonder what happened. But the thing is, we have to go deeper, not just busier. We have to get deeper in our faith. And, and I, I, I believe somebody needs to hear this. If you are the kind of here, you're kind of Coming and you're kind of in because maybe your parents made you too or, or your spouse made you or whatever, but you're, you're kind of, I want to encourage you to step forward and go deeper in your faith. Because you need to be a, deeply a part of the body of Christ and that takes more than a kind of Christian living. It takes more than occasionally coming when you have nothing else on the schedule. Because church is not the same as just listening to a podcast or a sermon on on the radio. While those are good things and they can, can edify and continue to challenge us, that is not the church. Being a part of the church... Is, is so important. It's part of the body of Christ. It's, it's gathering together corporately in an opportunity to worship God together, to encourage one another together, to strengthen each other as we prepare to be able to go out and share the love of Jesus with the world around us. The third type of false faith is a conditional faith. It's those who would say, well, I love God, and I believe in God as long as things go my way, as long as it does something for me. You may know people like this. They declare how they can, uh, you know, I believe in a God who, I can't believe in a God would allow this and, or that to happen and who only are in it for what they can get out of it. Or at least until things kind of clear up and the trials go through and then they're off on doing their own thing. That's conditional faith and it's a false faith. But not only do trials and difficult times and questions, not only do they help us show the genuineness of our faith, they also understand that God can use our trials. He, he, first of all, he, he uses them to reveal and strengthen our faith. In 1 Peter 7, he says, These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which per- perishes even though refined by fire, may prove to be genuine. The reality of what's being declared here by Peter is that a faith that's been tested is a faith that can be trusted. Look at Peter's life, full of testing, and even full of failing a bit. He he was strengthened, and and regrouped, and redeemed, and made new, and was completely transformed. In fact, if you go back a couple of decades from when he's writing this letter, Peter's having this conversation with Jesus in Luke 22. And, And Jesus comes and says, Simon, Simon. Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. Now, when when Jesus says this, I want you to understand that Peter's not alone in this. For all of us, our spiritual enemy is always scheming to take us away from the things of God. Don't ever think that that Satan's just going to leave you alone, that, that. You're not going to be under attack because Satan fully intends to test each and every one of us. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, did you ever catch that? And when you've turned back, in other words, you're not always going to get it right, Peter. But when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. How did God use trials to transform Peter? Well, let's be honest. He was kind of a jerk. I mean, in his early years, he was obnoxious. He was inconsistent. He was hot-headed. In fact, Satan, I mean, Jesus at one point said, when Peter's saying something, he says, get behind me, Satan. I don't know about you, but if I was talking to Jesus, I wouldn't want him using that title on me. In later years, though, he was incredibly bold, tenacious, and full of faith. What happened? Well, God used the trials to strengthen him. You see it as an example. I mean, Peter's shooting off his mouth once again, and he says, Well, Jesus, hey, I don't know about all these other yahoos that we've been hanging out with, but even if they deny you, I will not. I will be your guy. I'll never leave you. I got your back. And what happens? Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter denies Jesus. And then at the time, the the rooster crows and he sees the eyes of Jesus. And his heart is ripped out. And Jesus dies on the cross for Peter's sins. And for our sins. And three days later, the stone is rolled away, and the tomb is empty, and Christ is risen. And in John 21, you see this encounter between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus says, Do you love me? And Peter says, You know I do. Do you love me, Peter? Jesus, Absolutely. But do you love me, Peter? Yes, Jesus. And Peter hears from Jesus, Yes, you do love me. And he gives him an assignment. He says, Feed my sheep. And what do we find from this? Well, Peter, shortly after, this guy who's messed up, who's been called by Jesus Satan at one point, is now the guest preacher. On the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people were born into the kingdom of God and received the faith. God used the trials to strengthen Peter's faith and to change him into who he was becoming. Because trials can reveal and can strengthen our, our faith. And what I hope you'll understand is that there can be a purpose in our pain in the difficult times. Uh, I, I truly believe that God does not cause those things, but he can use them for our benefit in our faith and life if we are willing to trust him with it and the process. Because the second thing I hope you'll see in all of this is that trials will draw us closer to God. It's in those difficult moments that we learn to depend on God more. It's those moments when you're so low that all you can do is look up and draw close. And we find Him and we press into Him and, and we experience this glorious, inexpressible joy. Our faith is in who God is, not in what we bring to the table. Our faith is not in what we see. Our faith is in who God is. Even though our hurt is real and we have these very real human fears and tears and issues and yet we can still in the midst of all of that have a supernatural faith in the goodness of God and how we can have it and when we experience it there's this inexpressible joy that can only come from heaven. Remember, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is is something in the midst of it that we can't fully explain other than to say, God gave me this. And you watch the power of the language that Peter uses in verse 8 and verse 9. He writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy. Now remember who he's writing to. He's writing to people that are facing life-threatening stuff. They're being purposely hunted down. Going through stuff that none of us would ever think possible. And he says that in their belief, they are filled with With this inexpressible joy, a joy that can only come from heaven, a joy for which we don't really have the words in our human vocabulary to adequately describe, but this heavenly emotion that settles our soul, it calms our mind. And gives us peace beyond our human ability to understand. But even in the midst of the grief, even in the hurt, even though you're afraid, even though it's dark and you can't quite see the light, you understand that even in the midst of all that's coming at us, that our hope is in Jesus. And that this glorious, inexpressible joy then says for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation for your souls. That's the gospel message. That's the good news that the that of the hope that only Jesus offers that this world cannot duplicate. You see the good news is not that God saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. Let me repeat that. Because I think we all need it. The good news is not that God saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. God never said he will deliver you from all the troubles. And in fact, in John 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. The good news is not that he saves us from our trials. The good news is that he saves our souls and forgives us of our sins so that we can experience the hope that only he can give. That's the best news we could ever share. So today, if you're hurting, lean into Him. Take a step toward Him, and what you will find is that as you draw near to God, God draws near to you. He never left. He's not forsaking us. He's encouraging us, much like a parent With a hurting child. Come to me. All you who are weary and laden. For I will give you rest. God loves you so much that he wants to help you understand. That you, even in the midst of the trial. He can use it. To strengthen us. To draw us closer to him. And to conform us into the image of his son. That as the result we will never be the same. That we will truly be different. So I want to encourage you this morning. Where do you stand? Is your faith an inherited one? Is your faith one that is contingent on the circumstances? Or is it genuine? Do you know whom you've put your trust in? Do you know the person that Jesus is? If not, I encourage you, seek him. Put your hope in Christ. In who he is and what he's done for you. Because that's the best thing I can offer. That God gave us And continues to give us his son. That we can experience salvation that will get us through the trials. The trials are are temporary. The eternity is with life with Jesus. If we put our faith in him. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly today. And God, we, we continue to go through things in life and and there are things that are no fun to be in. And, we, and I don't wish them on anybody. But the reality, Lord, is that trials happen. Difficult times happen. But you are bigger than all of these things. That as we draw closer to you, as we draw deeper into relationship with you, we find a peace and a joy because of the salvation that you offer us that we can have a faith not in our our own actions and our own goodness because that doesn't do anything Be, but we can have a faith in what you've already done in the fact that you sent your son to do what we could not do that you sent your son to die on that cross shed his blood for us but that it didn't stop there Lord that he was risen on the third day that you seated him on the throne next to you and we eagerly await to be with you as well draw us close Lord and as we dive deeper in our faith and we lean in closer to you may we find some expression for those inexpressible words as we declare you are worthy in your name we pray amen god's blessings on you and we'll see you next week